Well, good morning to all of you. I am so happy to be here. We so much enjoyed the meeting that we were here before and been waiting about three years after the invitation to come back. And we have often, Karen and I have often talked about, you know, hope nothing happens before we come here. We still get to do it and a few roadblocks, but we are here and looking forward to study with you. If you would take your Bibles and open them to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This morning is going to be an introductory lesson for the Bible class time. And <clears throat> I want you to know that for years I had planned preachers. We'll be driving along and, you know, we get a sermon idea. I couldn't tell you how many sermon ideas have been lost to the wind because I had the idea and before I could write it down it was gone. There's some really good sermons that are never going to get preached, I can tell you that. But most of us have a bunch of sermons and on the back of the piece of paper somewhere, scraps of paper, there'll be sermon ideas, just enough to remind us of that thought that we had. And for years I've had one that was a series of lessons on the resurrection and never could get it done. Some of you know I'm, I'm a nurse, cardiac nurse, lately been a COVID nurse in the hospital in Tallahassee. And when I first came here, was it three or four years ago, I had planned to do that. And it just didn't happen. There's so much involved in getting those lessons ready and everything, I had to give up and realize it wasn't happening for that meeting. But sometimes the coronavirus can be a blessing. I was the first one in our hospital and the third one in our county to get the COVID virus. And back then, you were quarantined. They would lock you up. You'd get arrested if you didn't quarantine. They called every day to check on me. So for about five or six weeks, I was still testing positive and I was locked in my basement. My wife would bring food and leave it at the bottom of the steps and then run back upstairs so she didn't get it. And we would, I would walk outside downstairs, she would walk outside on the upstairs porch and we would talk to each other, be out in the yard, her up on the upstairs porch. But the blessing was that about the first week I realized I'm going to be down here for a long time it looks like. And so I began studying this and the basis for all these lessons was laid out. And I got it to the point that it was workable for later on. So what you're going to be studying with us this week is the result of all that. So good for the coronavirus. It didn't kill me, and this happened out of that. Now, <clears throat> I want to, I know some young people are in here, and old people too, this is going to apply to you. Let me encourage you something. I hope you bring your Bibles every time you come to a Bible class or whatever, or to church. If you don't, please do. Just for this week, I mean, I could teach you, you need to be doing it anyway, but just for this week, please bring your Bible. One of the things is we're going to read a lot of verses. I'm going to read the verses, a lot of them, in the Bible. You're going to be surprised, I believe, how much teaching there is on the resurrection, how many verses there are that talk about different aspects of it. And you need to see those with your own eyes. You need to see them with your own eyes. You need to know what's in there. 
You need to know it to be able to teach other people, and you also need to know it for yourself. Okay, so if I was to ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? What would your answer be? Okay, probably most of us in here would raise our hand and say yes. My next question is, no, wait a minute. I'm asking you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ was raised? I mean, is it a conviction in your heart and in your mind that this is a real event, as fantastic as it is, it really did happen, and I really do believe that? Okay, most of us would still say yes. I, I do believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and my next question would be, why do you believe that? Why do you believe it? Sadly, my case growing up, I was raised in the church, had Christian parents and grandparents, and a lot of you were. Sadly, for a lot of us, at some point in time, if, if I say, why do you believe that? If we were to just give an honest answer the way it really is, the answer would be, well, because I've always heard that. I, I, I was told from the time I was a little child that Jesus was, he was killed and actually he came back to life and was raised from the dead. I've just always been told that. I actually have never really questioned that because I've always been told that. Well, that's just what our church teaches, and we go to the Church of Christ, and that's what the Church of Christ teaches, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and now there are a lot of churches that are actually, if you listen to their professors and their scholars, they really don't, they're not really locked in on that anymore. But, but what I'm getting at is the answer is not really the answer that it should be. Why do I believe? Well, pretty much everybody around me that I hang out with, like at church and my friends, they all believe that. And, you know, we really don't give each other problems for believing that. Well, let me tell you something. If you leave where you've grown up and you go to college somewhere, you're going to get challenged on it. You will get challenged on it. Just because you were raised that way doesn't mean anything to them. In fact, that's a talking point for them why you shouldn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. They'll use that against you. So as you think about that and the situation that a lot of us have been in or are in, and I'm, I'm talking because that was me. I was raised that way. And, and so I would ask you the question again, why do you believe Jesus was raised from the dead? There is a different answer that can be given, and it has a completely different effect on the person. And that answer would be, it's because I questioned it. I just didn't really know, even though I'd been told that all my life, whether I, I mean, that's a pretty fantastic story, a guy coming back to life right after he was dead. I questioned that, and I decided I was going to look at the evidence. I was going to see, why do people believe that? Why are people saying that? And so I took the time, and I studied the evidence, and the conclusion I came to is as fantastic a story as it is that somebody came back to life. That's the only reasonable answer I could come up with, that it really is true that Jesus really was crucified and killed and raised from the dead. 
That's a completely different answer to give as to why you believe in the resurrection. And let me tell you what it'll do for there is so much power in, in that being your situation. There is so much power in, in you believing it because you have looked at the evidence and you have decided that really happened. It will have such an effect on you. It, it, you're just not going to believe it. The, the first people that I talked about, which would have been me at one time, if you just believe it because that's the way you were raised and you've always heard that, let me ask you, have you ever questioned your parents before? <laughs> have you ever, you know, at some point in time parents know everything and then sometimes suddenly there's this line that gets crossed in time where now they don't know anything. I'm growing up, they don't know anything. And so that kind of questioning it, it actually makes that fade away. But if you hang on to that idea, just because you were always taught that, that, that well, it's what I've always been told, always heard that, many times what ends up is that person is a very shallow Christian. They're very weak. They don't have a lot of conviction. They don't have a lot of zeal. They don't have a lot of courage. It's like we talk about people raised in the church and they're, they're really not dedicated Christians. But when you look at the evidence and decide that this really happened, there is so much power for your life, power in the gospel story when you believe, when you really believe it, to help you get through life. It will, it will give you, it'll make you more devoted and more zealous and more careful as you deal with that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul said, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's the fear and trembling thing? Well, it's, it's being afraid, it's fear. And it's trembling, a pretty, pretty good amount of fear. And the idea is of you need to, to work it out, make sure you're obeying God, and, and make sure you don't mess it up. Make sure you don't make a mistake. You need to be afraid to get it wrong with God. And the more you understand about the resurrection and what that means about Jesus, the more careful you're going to be to be a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. It will make you more careful in, in obedience. You know, there's a big deal going around today in the churches, even the Lord's church. A lot of people say, well, you don't really have to obey God to go to heaven. I beg to differ. Now, you can be forgiven when you don't. But you better get forgiven, and even that involves obedience. When you understand Jesus was raised from the dead, there is power for your understanding that comes to you that you better obey Jesus. You better, you better be listening to him, and you need to be careful that you do what he wants you to do. There is power there to, to make you willing to sacrifice. Remember when Jesus said in Revelation, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life? That, that particular one is not talking about just as long as you live, be faithful till you finally die. That passage is talking about persecution. 
And it's saying, what he's saying is, you be faithful. You stick with me. Don't give up your faith, even to the point somebody's going to kill you. And we, we read in Hebrews where the people in chapter 11, about verse 35, that, that is talking to this list of people that were sawn in half, they had their heads cut off. There's a little statement, a little phrase in there that says, not accepting deliverance. And what that tells you is they had a chance to get out of it. They could have stayed alive and not been killed. But they would, to, to be delivered from that, they had to renounce Jesus. And those people said, no, I will not. If that's what it takes for you to not kill me, then just kill me. Think about that kind of courage. I mean, in our day and time, some of us have been in a position where, you know, if I don't lie for my job, I'll lose my job. Well, certainly God wouldn't expect me to lose my job. If I lie for my job, God's going to understand that. No, God's not going to understand that. God's going to understand you lied for your job. But it's going to cost me my job. The kind of conviction from knowing that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Master, Jesus is God because He was raised from the dead, the kind of conviction that comes from that will give you the power to be able to make those kind of sacrifices. In your life. And, it, and the sacrifice means you lose something. You lose something that's important to you in order for you to serve Jesus and eventually make it to heaven. And it, it is powerful. When you get that understanding and that conviction, it is powerful in the effect that it will have on you and how you deal with God's Word. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.15, we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. That means, in another version, say handling it correctly. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with, with God's Word. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, the Apostle Peter talks about people who twisted the words of the Apostle Paul. And he says they did it to their own destruction. Well, let me ask you, why would somebody twist God's words? Why would somebody read a scripture and, you know, it, it, the words mean what they mean, but they would just redefine words and twist the wording and twist the grammar and twist it around where it means something completely different than what was actually said. Why would they do that? Well, they don't like what it says to begin with. And so they twist it around to get it where they want it to be. And they do that to their own destruction. When I understand Jesus was raised from the dead, I really believe that, uh, I'll do my best to not let that happen. I will be careful in meekness to listen to God's Word and what He says to me rather than, than what I want it to be. So this week there's a lot there for you. Again, please bring your Bibles. Because and, and follow with me through the lessons. There's not going to be stuff up here. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an electronics guy. That's not what's going to happen. In fact, that right there is the only screen you're going to see this week, okay? And it's going to be up there. That's what we're going to be talking about. There is an empty grave. There was 2,000 years ago back in Jerusalem. Okay? 
And that empty grave has meaning. It has meaning. And I want you to just look at that and think, that is a representation, pretty good one, of what we read in the Bible, of, of where Jesus was buried, and then the grave was empty. Okay? Why? Why was the grave empty? What happened? We have an account in the gospel story, and, and the apostles tell us what happened. The question is, are the apostles believable? Is what they claimed happened, is that story believable? And, and, and if it is, what, do us, what does it mean to us as Christians? Okay? Now, let me tell you a little bit about the nature of the study we're going to do this week. Uh, it's not going to be some scholarly, academic, Ph.D. kind of study. Okay? In fact, there's prob I know of one quote in all these lessons from a scholar, and it's going to be one to show their bad attitude. That's it. And let me tell you why, why I want it to be that way. Back when this happened, there were no scholars on this. I mean, it was just happening, right? There were no academic scholars, no PhDs about that empty grave. It was just happening right then. And if you were a person living in Jerusalem back in that time, you would not be able to go to some scholarly books and try to figure out what you believe about what happened. You would just be a regular old person trying to figure out what happened. And you hear rumors, you hear certain things, and, and eventually you had to make up your mind with the evidence that you had of whether you believe this story about Jesus being raised from the dead. And so what I want you to do this week is to take yourself and go back in time. I'm going to knock that thing down for us over with, okay? Just go back in time. Imagine yourself not in a school, not in a religious college, not in some scholarly thing, but just a person living in Jerusalem trying to make a living and get by in life. And all of a sudden this great big event happens in Jerusalem and you like everybody else there that hears all the stories about it, you got to figure out what happened. You have to figure out what you believe on that. That's how I want you to go through this study. Because actually, that's, that's me now. And that's you now. The story of Jesus and the evidence is, is really based on what's logical, what's reasonable, what is possible with God. And if you were to go to the scholars, what you will find out is most of the scholars don't, are not believers. I mean, they just, they, they give you their arguments against the resurrection of Jesus. And I can tell you about some of the scholars and some of the philosophers and the real funny ideas that they have where, I mean, you look at them and you think, well, what's wrong with that? I thought, I mean, they were some big academic famous person. And then you hear what they say and it's like, how did you get to be some big academic famous philosopher or whatever? Uh, they're really mixed up on some things. 
And, and really the gospel, remember where Paul says in 1 Corinthians that it's not for the wise, it's not for the mighty. You don't see many of those people. You know who the gospel is for? It's for, as Isaiah said, the wayfaring man. It's for the regular old person. It's for me and it's for you. And us to sit down and, and reasoning and using common sense figure out what we believe about that. And so that's the way we're going to handle that this, this week. So let me give you some historical facts that we'll begin with. About 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus who presented himself in the area of Jerusalem. And he began teaching some things, and they were very unique teachings. They were very different than what the religious leaders of that day and time had to say. In fact, a lot of it was calling out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of that day and time. And he became very famous. He became very popular in that area for the things that he was teaching. And he had great crowds, huge crowds of regular old people just like, that's how I describe us, okay? Just regular old people, huge crowds of followers who would come to hear him speak and who would, would ask him questions and listen to what he had to say. They would watch what we know were the signs and the miracles and the wonders that he did. They knew he was somebody special and, and they did just amass these great crowds following him. A lot of disciples. The Jewish leaders of that day and time got scared of that. They did not like that he became so famous. They did not like that he was having these huge crowds coming to listen to him because, like I said, a lot of the teaching he had was against them and what they were doing. And so they got very jealous of Jesus and angry with Jesus, and they decided it was time for him to just be killed and be gone. So they made some requests to the Roman government and we'll look at the story in another lesson. But at the request of these jealous Jewish leaders, they talk the Roman government into crucifying Jesus, into killing Jesus. And so they crucified him outside of Jerusalem. They, they buried him outside, in a grave there in that area. He was buried on Friday. And on Sunday morning, some people came to his grave, and the grave was empty. When they buried him, they wrapped him in the linens and spices, and they took that great stone, which I've been told probably weighed about six or 700 pounds, and they rolled it in front of the grave, and it fell into its place, and Jesus was buried in that tomb on Friday. Sunday morning... People came to his grave, and that stone was rolled away from the grave. The linens he had been wrapped in were still on the bench inside the tomb. The napkin that had been over his face was carefully folded and laid to the side, and Jesus was gone. Okay? Now, those are historical facts. Those are facts. Even the, the, the followers of Jesus and the enemies of Jesus all agree on those facts. Where we disagree is with the question, what happened? How did that happen? 
How was that grave, how did it become empty three days later? And listen, because of Jesus' fame, because he was so famous and well-known, and because of the teaching that he had done and the great number of followers that he had, that could not just be left alone. That picture right there of the empty grave, that had to be explained just because of the notoriety of Jesus. Let me step off for here just a second and, and give you an example of our day and time. Do you remember the couple that was on the road trip and the tragedy of all that? Everybody here knows about that, right? The, the young man and the young woman, they were in Colorado and they were on, she was, I guess, on Facebook putting the story of their trip every day and what they were doing and all that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden one day that stops. And a few days later, the young man ends up at his parents' home in Florida with her van, but not with her. She's gone. And this story comes out of, well, what happened to her? She's missing. What happened? And we don't get in there. Do you remember talk? I remember talking with people about that. We're wondering what's happening, but we're going about our, you know, I'm going to work. We're, we're doing our work, but it's a little bit of time talking about that, but you just keep wondering. You know it's going to come out, what happened, and you kind of wonder about it. And then the day comes when they found her body down on the mountainside. Remember that? Okay, well, we all stop again. We kind of talk about it, and, and, but now how did that happen? Well, he's denying it that he did anything. And so now you're listening to hear what happened, but you go about your everyday life. And then you find out he disappeared. He's gone off into the Everglades or wherever, and he's just run off and disappeared. Well, we kind of get an idea what happened, right? But we don't stop our lives for that. We keep on going to work, doing our everyday life while we wonder what happened, waiting for the story to come out. And then we find out that they found him and that he had committed suicide and had left a note confessing that he had killed her. And we have the story. Well, when all that happened, we kind of stopped and talked about all that. Well, again, the person in Jerusalem at this time, think about, they had to work for a living. They had to go to jobs every day, just like we do. And so they know about Jesus. They know about some of them probably had listened to him among all these great crowds of followers that he had. And they know the story of what the Roman government with the Jewish leaders getting them to do it did to Jesus. They know he'd been crucified and been killed. And what a sad deal that was. And then the story comes out that Sunday morning, the grave is empty. The body of Jesus is gone. And there's a lot of wondering about it. What happened to the body of Jesus? But we got to go to work. We have to make a living. And so they, the next week, they go back to work, but in their mind, just like it was with a lot of us on that other story, wonder what happened? We're just waiting for the news to come out. What happened? And then 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, Jerusalem exploded because 12 men showed up in Jerusalem and they began teaching their explanation of the empty grave, empty grave. And that was that Jesus was alive again. That Jesus had been raised from the dead. 
And it did cause a commotion in Jerusalem. And they began teaching it strongly with conviction. The Jewish leaders tried to shut them up. They couldn't get them to shut up. They kept teaching that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And that's when the battle started. The explanation to Jesus' empty grave. What happened? Why was the grave empty? The battle between the followers of Jesus who say it's because he's been raised from the dead and those who just don't believe that and will believe anything else but that. You see, the empty grave is a big problem for people who don't believe in Jesus, that he's the Son of God. It's a big problem for them. They, you, we're required to explain it. I believe that. But guess who else is required to explain it? I'm required to explain it because I believe it. They're required to explain it because they don't believe it. If they don't like our explanation, they have to come up with something believable also. And we'll be talking about some of those supposed answers that they have to that. And listen, even the Jewish leaders back in that day and time, they knew they had a problem on their hands. Over in Matthew chapter 28 or 27, verses 62 through 66, you read where after he had been killed and had been buried, the Jewish leaders came to Pilate and they asked for Pilate to put a, a, a watch or a guard of Roman soldiers over the grave. And they said, you remember how that old deceiver, talking about Jesus, that old deceiver said that he would rise again on the third day. And we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Otherwise, we'll never get this movement stopped. You see, they had to, to get the movement stopped. They had to discredit Jesus. Now, the story that the Bible tells us is that Jesus was raised from the dead and the grave was found empty. And the Roman soldiers, rather than going to their, their captains or centurions or whatever, <coughs> they went to the Jewish leaders to tell them, we don't really know what happened, but, but it, he's gone. And then in the later chapter, in Matthew chapter 28, beginning with about verse 11, you, we, you read where they bribed the Roman soldiers to get them to tell a story that they had fallen asleep. And we're going to examine that story later in the week. But remember, if a Roman soldier fell asleep on guard, guess what happened to him? He got executed. He died. They would kill him for that. But the, the Jewish leaders paid money to bribe them to say that. All that to say this, that's a problem for the unbeliever. That, that picture right there, that's a problem for the unbeliever. They have to explain what happened in a way that's believable with evidence, just like we have to do that. Now, when, when you're a believer, that's not a problem. When you are a believer, that right there is amazingly important to us. That, that empty grave is a source of our faith. Because of that, we would agree with the Apostle Peter in Acts 2.36 where it says that God hath made him both Lord and Christ. He is our master. He is our king. He is our Lord of lords and king of kings because of that empty grave. That's how we know that. 
It is, it is a source of courage. You remember when Peter and John in Acts 5, 29 were brought and they were told, we told you to quit teaching about this Jesus and, and you keep on doing it and, and now you need to stop. We're telling you again. And their answer was, we ought to obey God rather than man. Think of the courage of that. To the same people that had already gotten Jesus killed, these disciples, these just common men from Galilee are speaking to some people like that that can have them killed and who are threatening them and telling them, you better stop what you're doing. And their answer is, we have to obey God, not you. So kill us, if you will. Think of the kind of courage that takes. You know why they had that kind of courage? Because they knew why that grave was empty. That's why they had that kind of courage. And to the Christian, it is a source of hope. It's a source of hope. We'll talk about that in the last lesson for this week. Listen, that grave, it's still empty. 2,000 years later, that grave is still empty. And it still means the same thing that it did the day Jesus walked out of it. It still has that same meaning for us. And let me say to you this, one last thing, and that is any person who's serious about God, about spiritual things, about religion, any serious thinking person should be thinking about why that grave is empty. And they should be examining it. And so, again, that's what we'll be doing this week. And, and again, let me encourage you. Bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. See it with your own eyes. I think you'll be surprised at some of the things that you see that are said in the Bible about that. So, thank you for your attention. We're done for this class. Thank you.